The Trilogy Podcast with Vin and Scott. Three movies, two men, one podcast. You feel it, Scott? Oh, yeah. Baby. Walking down the street. Yeah. Here we are, ready to conquer New York City. Yeah, baby. You know what? Ladies and gentlemen, we are mm, the Trilogy Podcast. We're the only podcast in New York City or the universe devoted strictly to trilogies. Damn no re- right. No reboots. <laughs> no straight to cables. We're bringing you facts, trivia, info, and more to hell with the movie if they made four. Hell with the movie, sucker. You're doing really well over there, Scott. <laughs> I didn't want to say too much leading in. We usually do a little sketch or something. But that's now, just how I talk now. That's I've I've adapted a new lifestyle, and that's, I say baby all the time. Man. We all should. Right on. We'd all be happier if we spoke that way. Seriously. Day I think we day. should bring it back. I love it. I was just feeling the music in the beginning, Scott. I didn't want to do a sketch today. I just wanted to feel this music. It's hyping you a little bit. Everyone knows what movie this is. This is... Exactly. You're damn right. Yes. All right. So that's what we're doing uh, this time around. And we followed into a bit of a pattern, Scott. I've noticed we do a big budget, more contemporary movie that everyone knows. And then we take it back to a 70s trilogy. Yeah. Well, well you know, I, I, I think it's relevant. We got that uh, second, this is the second reboot. The third movie called Shaft. Right. But the second reboot coming out it, now. It's, Yeah, it's exactly. It's a second reboot. The yes. first reboot happened in 2000 with Samuel L. Jackson, where he picked up the Shaft moniker. Right. As and, his nephew, I believe. And now he's basically, again, the main Shaft who is training his son. Oh, I something. thought the son was the main Shaft now. Well, I guess he's he's training him in the movie to be the new Shaft. Well, either way, you have the whole Shaft gang comes back. You have... Uncle Samuel L., you have great uncle Richard Roundtree. Right. Yeah, we're entering a new world of uh, film today. I can't remember the amount of times you've said to me, Vin, we've got to get into the world of black exploitation. It's, I love it so much. You say it to me all the time, and I'm like, Scott, enough already. I know, it's like every time I'm Stop. like, Stop. Blacks, all right. Oh, I got to do more. There's only one, Scott. We'll get to it. And here we are. All right. You fancy yourself a super fly of sorts, no? I like to think so. I think I've got some swagger. I think I've, uh, you know. That's the right word. I got the walk. I got the... Let's take it to our old friend, Trilogy Bot. Sounds good. We always start with him. He's going to tell us what kind of a trilogy this is. I don't think anyone's going to be surprised. It's going to be a familiar one. It's, we have so many of this particular kind of trilogy. We've got to knock off the list. We keep coming back to it. But you know what? Trilogy Bot, why don't you tell us? Shaft is an army of one trilogy, one man against the world. His adventures, his conflicts, and his love affairs, baby. Don't jive me, suckers. (laughs) Even Trilogy Bot getting into the spirit of Shaft with that that kinky dialogue. That's nice. That was nice of him. So here we go. Um, It's definitely an army of one. Yeah, for sure. Shaft is an army army unto himself. He can do no wrong. And really, in a way... Well, he can do wrong, well, but... The right kind of wrong. <laughs> yes, I like that. Right. Was he the first army Army of One guy? I don't know if he was the first. Was he, Scott? I I mean, he was probably the first black one, for sure. No, oh, there's no question yeah. about that. But I, I think but before it's... 1971, was there one guy that was taking over everything? 
You see, I understand you men were just playing around, but the muley just doesn't get it. Of course, if you were to all apologize. This, in its own way, is a subgenre. It's black exploitation, and we should probably talk about it for a second. Sure. Because it's going to color a lot of what we talk about here. Don't make a face, Chris. All right. <laughs> uh, by the way, we, you know what? We've got into the habit, Scott, of not introducing ourselves in the beginning of these podcasts as if everyone should know us. They should. So if you're watching or listening to this for the first time, I'm Vin. I'm Scott. And Chris is our tech guy. He's joining us on the sidelines. Eating Doritos. Eating Doritos. There he is. I tried to get a black person to join us for this podcast because I wanted a black person's opinion. It seemed like it would make sense. Naturally, they're viewing this trilogy in a different way than we're viewing this trilogy. And frankly, there's something to be said for people seeing this for the first time in 1971 versus us seeing it now. Right. So it, it, was, it was very much a product of its time. It was a rethinking of race relations. Remember, the civil rights movement and act it was less than 10 years ago. Right. It was so pretty fresh. It was very fresh. And people for the first time were examining how they perceived race, even especially in urban environments, which was, you know, naturally more progressive than, yeah. you know, anywhere else. Sort so, of ballsy to even try to make this movie, you know? This came out the same time as Sweet, Sweetback's Badass Song. Yeah. Which is directed by uh, Melvin Van Peoples, Mario Van Peoples' father. Yes. And these two movies together, this and Shaft, usher in this black exploitation. That's more of a hardcore film and really is more hardcore in terms of the black power element. But that's one of the things that goes along with black exploitation, the idea of this, this black power, but more so us against the man. Um, black culture for the first time, a lot of white people seeing black culture, any kind of black culture. Right. For the first time. Real introduction for black people. characters for the first time, Scott, not being perceived as sidekicks or victims, but rather just regular people, or in this case, heroes. Yeah. Which was absolutely new at the time. Yeah. We watch it now and we're like, okay, this is just kind of an action movie. Right. But in 71, what? This guy is owning the fucking cops? This guy is owning the mafia? Okay. Yeah. Social issues and the idea of what's important to the black community is often seen as a theme in these black exploitation films. And also, this is the first genre of film where we're hearing soul and funk music for the first time, which is so critical to the success of Shaft, the Shaft yeah. theme. Yeah. Just look at the influence on hip-hop, on rap, on music. But also, I mean, in a lot of ways, a lot of the 70s movies we've covered even all kind of have, like, a song. Yeah. You know, like even uh, 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 Smokey and the Bandit had a song for right. every movie about the bandit and what he's doing. Let me tell you, this is very similar to our other 70s movies. I'm going to mention it, The Bad News Bears and Smokey and the Bandit. Right. There are definite connections that I'll draw as we go along here. Yeah. But that's exploitation. I wanted to give you the highlights of it because we're two white guys and and need to talk about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I wanted to give you the highlights of exploitation. you know? Yeah. In a, but at the same time, it's kind of important because really it, it influences how we and everyone perceive these films they're famous for this reason for the racial element sure. they are yeah it's, they are it's inescapable you can't look at it any other way but it is funny that in perceiving shaft it's really not as black exploitation is described in a lot of ways it's doing its own thing yeah i i it didn't feel like um uh, i guess what my perception of what black exploitation is it didn't really meet that standard. Right. Yeah. I really felt Not like... Not that I've seen many of these. Uh, I thought it would be films. like more fuck white people. Yeah. And I, I mean, did. To, to a level it is. There are a couple like, you know, 
But like the main character he works with and is friendly with is a white cop. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's Shaft like, is different. I don't yeah. think Shaft is like a regular black exploitation hero. I think he, he's doing his own thing. He's, he's not almost as, he's not as angry as you would yeah. expect. I, I I would say maybe it was the sequels. Like because I think after that the the black exploitation kind of blew up and people were doing you know right broader versions and bigger takes and different things and I think it kind of influenced the sequel. But even then, Shaft is. On his own, got his own funky groove, brother. Yeah. That is just... Although they were cranking them out fast. That's another 70s uh, trait I've noticed with trilogies. Is like, it's one after another after another it, within three years. Scott, you're getting me excited. We should probably jump into your plots. We'll talk more about how Shaft has influenced a generation. But I want to hear Scott's plots first. Just Scott's plots. No real... You know, fringe around it. No tinsel on the Christmas tree. Why would you think that there would be anything like that? Just the word Scott's plots hanging in the air by itself is enough for me. Scott's plots. Scott's plots. Yeah. Almost like I asked for it. Sexy Scott's plots. Scott's sexy plots. I do it to myself. Why are you adding a sexiness to it? Because of Shaft? Is that... Yeah, I'm trying to give it a little, little, right. little something. All right, all right, all right, all right. Are you ready to rock out these plots? Yes, I, I am I'm prepared. intrigued as to how you're going to describe the second movie, because it is confusing, but I can't wait. Uh, yes, uh, the plots are a little bit convoluted. Scott, are you going to give us any specific names when you do these I'm plots? Not. No specific names. What? No specific. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to do as little specifics as possible just to tell you the gist of the movie. Bare bones. In case maybe you've seen it, you didn't want to rewatch it. Boom, I'll give you a little refresher. Maybe you've never seen it and have no interest in ever watching it and just want to hear us talk about these movies to get a sense of what they are. Cool. This is for you, too. All right, all right. Oof. You're out of breath from that speech. I just figure I want to cover my bases. Make yeah. it happen, brother. All right, here we go. So we'll start off with the one that started it all, Shaft. 1971. A private detective is hired by the head of a crime organization to find his kidnapped daughter. The head of the crime organization tells the private detective that another rival gang took her, but when the private detective investigates, he finds that the mafia kidnapped the daughter, and the head of the crime organization's plan was to swap the head of the rival gang, who is in trouble with the mafia, for the daughter. The first in one of many terrible plans <laughs> executed by, what is it, Bumpy? His Bumpy? That's yeah. the bad guy, yeah, Bumpy, Bumpy. Who was in the never-ending story, by the way. Was he really? Yeah. Anyway, he's got like a Humphrey Bogarty kind of. Yeah, the whole he does movie, that. He, yeah. he's, he was in a lot of 80s sitcoms and yeah. you would have seen him. When I saw his face, I was like, I've definitely seen this guy, but I think it's never ending story. Yeah. Chef seems to know everyone, whether it be cop, criminal. He just seems to know them. Yeah. He's a guy who knows people. I mean, he's very, you see right away, he's walking down the street and stuff. He's very friendly. Oh, yeah. He's talking to everybody. He's got a little thing with every single person. He's a man of the people. The private detective finds out the mafia is after him now, too, and is being watched by two hitmen, and he gets them arrested. At the station, he interrogates the hitmen and finds the location of the daughter. With the help of the rival gang, the private detective is able to infiltrate the building and rescue the daughter. It's almost like Shaft looks at this whole situation with bemusement. He's laughing at everyone like, man, white people are just so stupid they don't understand black people. Yeah. It's not like fuck white people. Well, I mean, that's the whole reason for the relationship with the, the cop. Yeah. 
uh, is that he's like, we don't know shit. Right. <laughs> like, you know stuff. But you they have, have that moment. Us, like, like, he's like, you don't seem black to me, holds up the black pen against his skin. You don't seem white to me, holds up the white mug against his skin. Yeah. There's this weird understanding where it's like, it, it's strange. In that shaft, I think, is almost above this racial shit. He's living in the village. Right. He's getting his ass grabbed by a gay guy. Doesn't seem to really even react to it. Doesn't seem to care. No. All right? No. So he's living in his own sort of hippie world. Shaft is comfortable in his skin. I exactly. think that's, that's, that's something. Exactly. Great point. He's comfortable in his skin. So I think it's worth mentioning that the movie really ends abruptly, though. I mean, really abruptly. He dominates the whole fight at the end, of course, because he's Shaft. Yeah. Makes the phone call to the cop. Makes the funny joke. It's a callback to the girl that he slept right, with initially. Right, 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 right. And then he kind of does the Shaft laugh. Boom. Credits roll. And I feel like that's just like credits roll. Yeah. Like in these movies, when the movie's over, they're over. Yeah. They're not fucking around with you. Yeah. No, I imagine he, uh, you know, he's just on to the next case immediately. It's delightful, though, because I found in all these epic movies we've been watching, the, the ends never seem to come. You just want the end to come and you're like, end, end, more to it, added on more, yeah. fucking Star Wars or, or Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones, which isn't a trilogy, but we've been watching, end. This movie just... Like it ends. Yeah. They're like, oh, you thought you were watching a movie? Now it's over. And you're not watching it anymore. And Chef's walking away. And you've already seen the long credits in the beginning, which are like end credits in the beginning. Then I've often found most movies end at some point, you know? They do. So it wasn't surprising to me that the movie eventually ended. (laughs) Where there once was movie and now is none. All right, Scott. We're on to the next one. That was a really basic plot. I can't imagine that this second movie will be as basic. I dare you to explain it to me. Here we go. I tried my best. Shaft's Big Score. 1972. A friend of the private detective gets blown up, and he's out to find out who did it and why. I like how in these movies, when someone's blown up, they're showing the the blown up body lying across the burning rubble. Yeah. I mean, there's no ambiguity at all. He's blown the fuck up. Yeah. And there he is. Into little pieces. There's another explosion in one of the other movies where his, the exploded body is... This is graphic violence. Yeah. It's pretty hardcore. Yeah. It's cool, though. It's delightful. Because you see, like, this is this crime is bad. It's very bad. <laughs> That's how they do it in The Godfather, too. It's early 70s movies where someone explodes and their body just kind of falls out the car where the explosion was or fall, th- is thrown <laughs> out the window and is thrown across the window. Bombs weren't enough to blow people apart at this time? What were they using? Oh, they, back? W- they would have totally blown them apart. That's what I'm saying. Why? How at is least the guy limbs still alive? Going flying, you know? Thank you. Yeah. Where's the limb? Kind of like a leg blown off uh, or something. Give me a leg. My leg? Have a wing. What do you like, Henry? The leg and a wing. The leg and a wing. You're more of a hearts and lungs type of guy. <laughs> the private detective soon finds that his friend's business partner is in serious debt to the mafia and killed his partner so he could pay off his debts with money that was meant for an orphanage. No. <laughs> but the money Wait. is missing. Notice how he runs into the funeral parlor. It's still burning. Yeah. The firemen are still extinguishing the flames. I, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. He's like, can I get the safe? They're like, here, take the safe. What? Yeah, why would they, were they like, dude, get out of here. Why are you in here? <laughs> why are you in here right now? There's fire everywhere. The safe itself is on fire. It's smoking. (laughs) Mind if I uh, jump in here real quick? Yeah, there's no fucking rules. Do whatever you want, I guess. Come on in. (laughs) 
The business partner promises both the head of the crime organization from the first one and the head of the mafia part of the business if they'll assist him. Yeah, so he's kind of playing both sides against the middle. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think so. It's very confusing Well, he's here. a gambler, so I think he's running out of options to pay off his gamble because he has a gambling debt to the mob, right? And I, I guess he's trying to get Bumpy to eliminate them in the some old, way. The uh, like, Peter to pay Paul type of a situation where he's so, just kind yeah. of... Meanwhile, why is anyone trusting this guy? He doesn't even have control of his half of the business. No, yeah. That's what's crazy. Yeah. Uh, the cow's wife has he, control of the has, business. Or, yeah, her, his, his girl, sister. Sister, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sister has control of the business. So he's controlling nothing right now. Right. He just has a debt. I well, don't even know why they're, they're he, trying to put the squeeze on her, I yeah. think, to get, because that's how he's going to get the money, because he can't find, he thought he was going to get the cash, I think. He exactly. knew the cash was there. He would just be a quick grab. And now it's like, now I have to get the fucking other half of the business so right. I can get the money, like... It's very convoluted. Very needlessly convoluted. The missing money is discovered to have been buried with the private detective's friend. While the business partner is digging up his partner, the head of the mafia arrives, kills the business partner. But before he can take the money, the private detective arrives and takes back the money. A long chase over several methods of travel. It's so ensues. strange. It's so str it's one of the str <laughs> most strange action climaxes I've ever. It just keeps seen. going and going with every vehicle imaginable. I, I, it's, I literally had I a thought. We're at the cemetery, and I and I look at how much time is left in the movie, and it's like ten minutes right. or something like that. And I was like, oh, so this is it. This is the big scene. The end scene is going to happen in the cemetery. How wrong was I? It did not only did it not end in the cemetery, it went to like six other locations. Yeah. Yeah. And of uh, like in a car. Now he's in a boat. Now he's in a helicopter. I'm exactly he's running what upstairs. Happens. You've he's got a running. chase, a car chase that does is, is meaningless. Yeah. To a boat. He gets in the boat and mysteriously starts going in circles in the boat, giving the helicopter more than enough chance to shoot him and he's going yeah. in circles. I don't yeah. know why he's going in circles. I, I guess if he went in a straight line, they'd shoot him. But when he pulls the still. boat up. And this is inexplicable. The boat just explodes with the boss in it. Why? Oh, oh, yeah. For no reason whatsoever. And I think in the third movie, a vehicle needlessly explodes. The trunk explodes on a car. Thank you. I guess in the early 70s, if every vehicle, if you did the wrong thing with it, just fucking blew up. Uh, yeah, I guess. So that Or was everyone was carrying dynamite in the back of the like, car. But like, what an unceremonious end to the mafia guy. He's in the boat. Chef yeah. runs away. The boat just explodes for no reason. He could have easily been arrested. You know, like just knocked out in the boat and then someone arrests him. Chef you know? then climbs up to a tower specifically so that a guy could chase him up the tower and then fall to his death. Yeah. He comes down, giving the helicopter more than enough time to shoot him, but the helicopter refuses to budge and stays there long enough for Chef to eventually just take it out. Yeah. Helicopter could have just... Left. Yeah. But they're Packed like, it fuck in, it. Went home. <laughs> yeah. But Chef... Uh, Whew. Especially because your boss is dead. Right. So why are you still so even now, fighting? What, the action climax ends with Shaft killing two henchmen in a helicopter? Yeah. So that's kind of strange. A long chase over several methods of travel ensues, and in the end, the private detective defeats the mafia. And it ends abruptly, Scott. Yeah, I know that it ends. But again, it's an abrupt ending. Shaft in Africa. 1973. The private detective is hand-selected to infiltrate an African slave trade into France. I can imagine t a million people more qualified to do this than Shaft. 
as good as a detective or no, a private detective he is. Well, I mean, they explained it because they was like, what about, uh, you know, an African detective? And I'm like, oh, they know all our people. Everyone in Africa. What about not a detective? My son died. Okay, that stopped me. I won't ask any more questions. Makes perfect sense like, then. Yeah. I sent my son and he's dead. What I do you feel about that? You probably could have found an African. Yeah. That, you know, knew any of the customs and looked any kind of way the part. Well, it it's it, it, it actually doesn't end up mattering because here I'll, as I proceed. Wouldn't be this. a movie, so he is trained to go undercover as an African, but almost immediately the plan is found out and <laughs> someone tries to kill him. <laughs> His training is terrible too. It's awful. It's hilarious because like he convinces that one guy, white guy on the plane, and like he's kinda like, Yeah, I'm doing good. Like what do you mean? You're, you're like you convinced that one white guy from New York, and yeah. then it turns out he knows exactly who he is the whole time. <laughs> you're like, oh, so you didn't convince anyone? Okay, great. <laughs> Akeem from Coming to America fought with a stick better than he does. It's it, there's no training involved at all. Is there not a better name than stick fighting? Like, there's not like a African word for stick fighting that would sound cooler. I don't know. You think you know? of the famous film stick fighters. Stallone in Rambo 3. But the fact that they're like, oh, I see you're skilled in stick fighting. It's like, it sounds like I see you're skilled in stick ball. Like, it just yeah. sounds dumb. Like I guess so. I guess maybe in Africa, stick is a more powerful word than here. Here, a stick is like, yeah. Right. You would think you're ball. like, ah, oh, you, you're very skilled with the staff. You know, like something like yeah. that would sound cooler. Like Maybe in sub-Saharan Africa. Stick. All right. Well, I don't know. I can't speculate on that. We can just wonder. I, and I will. They go ahead with the plan anyway. Because why, why, once you're discovered, why even alter your plans at all? Well, I guess they never, I don't think they come out and say it, but I think the plan is that like, okay, we know they know, but I, they, we don't know if they know that we know, basically. Okay. They go ahead with the plan anyway, arming the private detective only with a stick with a camera inside of it. After several attempts on how does his- that, how does that, how does that camera not break? It has to. If he's using it to smack people, it's broken. Come, Come on. Technology of 1970. Yeah, he beats the hell out of that guy. Like, that's that's a broken... Come on. Come on. And also, it, it he presses a button to take a picture at one point on the side of it. Yeah. There's, there's no button there. <laughs> <laughs> he just touches the side of it and it... I'm like, why didn't you just put your thumb behind it and pretend there was a button there? But you can clearly see there's there's no button there. I don't know that you're. Necess- it would have been the 70s. It would have been a big button. Are you, you sure know? you're up to date with cane camera I technology? Take another look at it. Believe you me, there's no button. Put it on Instagram. Fair That'll enough. be. <laughs> we'll find it and put it on Instagram. Fair enough. After several attempts on his life, they hire the private detective, a bodyguard, who is killed almost immediately. <laughs> but not before they kill the dog, just out of cruelty. That poor dog. They beat the dog to death. Yeah. And then they just kill that we get to know the bodyguard just long enough and like him just long enough for him to die right in front of us. Right. Ethiopia is a complex place. <laughs> Go on, Scott. Is that it? <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> The oversexed girlfriend of the leader of the slave trade is also sent to deal with the private detective, but ends up just fucking him and getting killed. What a delightful addition she is to this insane story. It's like, you know what? I felt like I was kind of still enjoying the movie, and then she showed up, and I was like, I hate all of this. How could this be a good part of the plan? Yet another Shaft movie where the plan makes little sense. Yeah. 
and, and it, it's 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 a wonder that it works out. Shaft is handicapped at all of these films, and only his undefeatable action hero quality is what saves the day. He, he just kind of runs in and goes for it. The private detective makes it out and delivers photo evidence of the slave trade, but isn't satisfied with the French police's promise of justice and takes matters into his own hands. <laughs> the French police guy, uh, Inspector Clouseau, yeah, by the way. That's all I kept thinking really? about like, like, it is okay. There will be justice. We will find them. And, the uh, little like, mustache, everything. Like, the whole thing. You're not inspiring a lot of confidence. <laughs> I'll tell you. Like, like, I was with Shaft, or I'm like, yeah, he's not going to do shit. You should just go do and it. And you're saying to yourself, are people are still adhering to this plan? How? What? <laughs> and it's still going on. The yeah. plan isn't off the rail. Like, we're still doing yeah. this? Yeah. I think he literally, doesn't he literally have a fuck the plan? Or, or no, fuck the law. Yeah. I mean, Fuck the law. I'm like, God's I'm taking sake. care of this. I'm like, good. Yeah, that's what I want. Like, the guy threw a knife through the girl he just did. Yeah. And he sent her out to sea. Doesn't that screw up the plan? Fuck the plan. This is just the beginning of this very common trend in any action film, whether it be 70s, 80s, 90s, where the, the hero creates crazy bloodshed and violence, and the local cop is like, all right, you did a good job. Now just get out of here. Every, <laughs> yeah. Everything's fine. But pretend you didn't, you know. Yeah, well, I guess the end result's good, so run away. Like... <laughs> Okay. Are there any depositions, anything? Oh, it's much like uh, Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver. Yeah. Faces no repercussion whatsoever. Well, it was it was a pimp. Well, sure, but he murdered three people. 70s. Yeah. Right? They were just glad to have him off the street. Seriously, you know? I mean, that, that's what we're talking about. But you also have a murderer now on the street who <laughs> killed three people. He's no different than any cab driver I've ever had in New York City. Fair. The private detective tracks down the head of the slave trade and with the help of the freed slaves, takes down the bad guy. Scott, I love your plots, and I think you did a great job with those because they're very fucking confusing, let me tell you. Now, can I actually... I'm sorry, start, I, I hate to cut you off, don't, but that, uh, I, I had a thought today. Don't hate it. Um, we have started to call uh, my bit Scott's Plots. Yeah. And I figure because you're giving us info that we should call it Vinfo. How do Would, you like that? Wouldn't be the first time I've created a portmanteau of the names Vin, my name Vin, Vin info. and Info. There's a lot of Vins that go Vin with... Information. I've done a, I like that. I'm not sure. Uh, let's table it for now. Because much information. Get your daily dose of information. Ain't gonna know about the Parker. <laughs> the first and second... Shaft films were financial successes. Yes. In a big way. Second, even more so than the first. But the third one fell off tremendously. Actually lost money, I believe. Really? They sold it to TV. It was it became a TV show. Shaft. And he and Richard Roundtree was in that version as well. Okay. So, but it was a, it was a time that MGM really needed money. They were a failing company at this point. I read some of this. And this was one of the only three moneymakers in 1971 they even had. It started this black exploitation trend that kept them afloat for a while. Yeah. They always have trouble, MGM. They're gone now, too, I think. You don't see that line anymore, I guess, huh? No. They sold off all the rights. They had the rights to Bond, and they had to sell that off, I think. Really? I think so. Speaking of Bond, a lot of people would say that this is almost... A black version of Bond. He even mentions Bond in the third in movie. In the third one. Well, yeah. it's interesting because in the first one, if you remember, he calls himself, uh, like, I'm just Sam Spade. I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm just a, a hard-boiled detective. Right. That's all my character. And, and it's pretty flatly telling you from the writer's perspective, like, that's what this is. Mm -hmm. He's, it's it's a it's a black, like, today's Sam Spade. Yeah. Like, doing, his, doing the same movie. thing he would have done. Right. And I feel like in the third one, they did try to make the third one a little more Bondish, like, as if they could... 
you know, spin this off and continue this like James Bond. Well, he still has because that- he even says, he says, uh, you know, when he gives him the gadgets, he's like, I'm not James Bond. Right. But like, but you but are But he's now. got that Bond <laughs> sexual attraction with women. Right. And they added that, like, you know, the like he, hot German or whatever. He can bet any type of woman from yeah. any place the way Bond could. Yeah. Any nationality, race, any just... That just whole scene with her everyone. seemed very, very James Bond. You're quite a man, Mr. James Bond. But I am a superior woman. You know that making love to Fatima was the greatest pleasure of your life? Well, to be perfectly honest... There was this girl in Philadelphia. Shut up! The original screenplay was written for a white guy. Yeah. All right? It was written by the same guy who wrote um, French Connection, a screenwriter named Ernest Tiddyman. All right? And he wrote it for a I white... Always, I always read that as Tidy Man. Did I, did I say Tiddyman? Tiddyman. Well, it might be Tiddyman. We'll never know. But I... <laughs> tidy Man. See? The Tidy Bowl Man. Tidy Bowl makes the water a beautiful Caribbean blue. But when Gordon Park, the director, took it over... You know, he made a point of making it a black cop, and that changed everything. Yeah. Okay? He wasn't trying to necessarily make a big movie about black consciousness and about making a change in the black community so much as make a movie about black people that was fun, where the, right. where the black hero won at the end. It's Yeah, it seems to me it's just – it's about – it's more about making the point like, look, it's a normal movie with a black guy as the lead character now. Right. But it's, I almost I was thinking about uh, Black Panther. Okay. Oh, that came out recently. That okay. was kind of a big deal because it was a full black cast, full black crew, directed by a black director, written by a black writer, like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, that's kind of the evolution, like of where film has gone. Is like you can still kind of make a cultural impact in film. Good point. Today and like we see that a lot more now. You know, there's a lot more like. Uh, Asian-led movies and sure. stuff like that now because people are really pushing for this. Thing. Normally, I would give you a stern rebuke for mentioning a Marvel movie, but it's a perfect connection here because it right. is the evolution. And you can really see this because um, Gordon Parks hired a lot of uh, African-Americans behind the scenes to make this movie. Yeah. So the producers were white guys, and they were certainly looking to make a profit. At the end of the day, though, much as this movie was marketed towards African-Americans, what do you think happened? White people loved it. Right. And that is often the trend. Black people make awesome ass shit and white people like it. You're a smart motherfucker. That's right. Um, So Gordon Parks, okay, the director of this film for the first two. He directed the first two. He didn't, wasn't involved at all in the third film. And I think we can. Smart move. Yeah. Um, But this guy was more than anything, a legendary photographer during the civil rights movement. That's what he's most famous for. But boy, if you read this guy's biography. Um, a musician. He composed all the music for the second movie himself because what's his name? Uh, Isaac Hayes. Wasn't available. Now look here. Who twists your spine till it feels like jelly and heats your blood till it's boiling wine? Who splits your heart in a zillion pieces? Chef! Baby, you'll blow your mind. Mm-hmm, he sure will. Now I'm sure, Scott, you have a lot to say about the star and the only guy that's in all three of these films, Richard Roundtree. Your expertise in Richard Roundtree is legendary. You're wearing a Richard Roundtree t-shirt right now. I'm not. And I'm not. It's funny, when we did the uh, the prequels, <laughs> you were like, you're a Darth Maul fan? You really like Darth Maul? And I was wearing a Darth Maul t-shirt. And now you've imagined Scott, a Richard Roundtree shirt. What would that even look like? Don't lie. Okay. <laughs> Not a Shaft t-shirt, just a t-shirt that's Richard Roundtree. I like, don't know why. You're... Maybe just his headshot. Why are you backing <laughs> off this, your true self? Tell me something about the great Richard Roundtree. He was in Shaft. Right on. 
this is his first movie. It broke him as an actor. And then through most of the 70s, he did black exploitation films. And then he really became a television star. There isn't a television show that happened in the 80s, 90s, or 2000s, or even 2010 teens? The 2010s. That he hasn't been in. I mean, this guy's been all over television. Roots. So that's big in the 70s. But also um, Chips, Magnum P.I., 21 Jump Street, MacGyver. Judged Miss, Miss Universe one year. Who else would know who should be the Miss Universe but Shaft? It's true. Thank you. He's got an eye for the ladies. Right. You might remember him from a role he had in the movie Seven. I don't. I don't remember it either. I saw that he was in the movie Seven. He was, must, was there a black cop? That. Well, there was. He was Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> he was the black cop. Touche, my friend. <laughs> I'm just telling you he was in Seven. Okay. You lie! You're a fucking liar! Shut up! You have to mention the music when you talk about the tech work behind this because the music, you got to remember that Isaac Hayes was nominated for two Academy Awards for score and song and one for best song. Scott, why don't you tell us about the other thing that makes Isaac Hayes famous? I know you know about it. He was chef in South Park. Come on, children. Uh, he had a actually had a big falling out with them and left the show uh, because they made jokes about Scientology and he was a Scientologist. I'm just talking about Scientology. Ah. <laughs> I don't dig it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so but it actually created one of the funnier episodes of South Park at the time was they brought Chef back for, I think, the Halloween episode the next season after he quit, and they used all old clips of right. of him to fill in the dialogue, but it never made sense, and the kids are like, what's wrong with Chef? And like he was like a robot or something <laughs> like right. that. That's right, that's right. Wasn't he like, his head was, was like dashed against the rocks, like he was brutally killed? <laughs> yeah, he was end. like murdered at the end, yeah. So. I'm gonna make love, even when I'm dead. My body might get cold, but it's always hot in my bed. All right, so you're ready to rock into these films then? Yes. All right. Shaft. Hotter than Bond, cooler than Bullet. We talking about Shaft, 1971. I don't care what generation you live in or how liberated you are. Every man wishes that he could have every woman, could beat up yep. every man that opposed him or made him angry, yep. and was rich. And right. just that's that's a fantasy of men. That's why these movies, there's no one's expecting a fantastic movie. They're expecting like a base good time because it yeah. appeals to your base emotions of like, yeah, I'd love to be the guy who tells that guy to fuck right. off. I'd love to be the guy who can say two words and get this girl to sleep with me. And you that's know? why this film appealed to everybody. And to women, I think, too, you know, oh, sexy Richard Roundtree, you oh, know, baby. Oh, I had Amy, baby. I had Amy analyze him and she was like, you know, he's good looking. But if you look like Richard Roundtree is like no muscle tone on his body at all. He's kind of like, yeah. he's a little soft. Yeah. Like even when they show his ass when he's making love, he's not all muscular. He's like just kind of <laughs> smooth. I, I don't know. Well, also, I also noticed in the third movie when he takes his pants off, you get a quick shot of just enormous bush. <laughs> like right away. And I was like, it was the 70s. Hey, where the hell are you going, Shaq? To get laid, where the hell are you going? <laughs> what is this? It only happens twice in the first movie. 
But he does that, laughs his ass off, and it's kind of this fake, just mocking laugh. It like, feels ah, like ah, it's ah, like a. Ah, I felt I looked up to see whether this dialogue was dubbed, and I couldn't. It didn't. I didn't find anything. I think a lot of his dialogue was dubbed. because that feels dubbed. Because you hear like weird fluctuations yeah. in the the volume in the back, like this. The, you know the what? crowd noise dude, cuts out at dude, points. We talked about this. Another quality of seventies movies: their sound mixing was just garbage. Awful. Awesome. And this is Smoking the Bandit and Bad News Bears. They're just not mixing sound the right way. You can't, it's not, yeah. I had to turn the TV up to 100 to hear the dialogue. Yeah. And for it to make any sense. Seriously. Yeah. I couldn't find any good version that had a, you know, yeah. usable or hearable fucking clip. I know. I was I watching know. with the captions on the whole time. <laughs> oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. I wrote down, of course, all the cool 70s shit. And the first thing was, Baby, New York City in the 70s, Times Square, Harlem. Like, I love seeing old New York City. Yeah. At one point, even he says, uh, you know, it's on Amsterdam Avenue or something like that. I know it's a long avenue, but, it, you know, it's right around the corner from here. Well, Scott, funny you should mention that because naturally when he gave that address on Amsterdam Avenue, I looked up where it was <laughs> and it's not far. It's around 96th and Broadway. And right now we're at 84th Street, so it's not far away. Wow. You yeah. know? So really scope out some locations. You are trespassing on private property, and I must ask you to leave. Leave this lot, losers, unless you want a licking. And we'd love to deliver that licking. Right, fellas? Yeah. Love it. Lot. I'd love to lick a lemon lollipop in Lilyhammer. I don't know why, but this whole movie, the, I guess it's the, yeah, baby, like how he says baby after everything. Love it. It makes me think of Lando. And now all I'm thinking, I'm like, now they should definitely make a Star Wars story Lando movie. Where he's basically shaft. He's shafting through the through space. I thought we got through Star Wars, Scott. Why do you have to oh, keep bringing I can't it? ever get over it. I know, I know. I can get through it, but you not feel over like, it. You feel like Lando is the shaft of that galaxy? Yeah, totally. I mean, they, what was... They, I mean, he is pretty smooth. During that time, it's the 70s, right? I guess it would have been 1980 would have been the first time he was in. He was yeah. an empire. yeah. But I, he seems like they threw him in there to be like kind of a cool slick. Yeah, Leia rolls up and he kind of gives her a wink like, hey, you yeah. know what? What does he say? Hello, what have we here? I want to mention um, one of Bumpy's guys. I don't know if this is the actor you thought of. Did you know that Drew Bundini was in this movie? And he's got two of the funniest lines. He's involved in two of the funniest lines. He's the henchman of Bumpy. Oh, Willie. He is, like, is my favorite character in the Shaft movie. You know who he is? Who is he? Dude, that's Muhammad Ali's, like, Bundini, his side man that wrote all of Muhammad Ali's most famous lines, float like a butterfly, really? sting like a bee. Yeah. Wow. And the way he says the line, pick my man up and threw him out the goddamn window. I was dying. That intonation has been used in a, damn window. In a thousand films. Yeah. I mean, I'm not it's just- It's almost like a, like, there's like, almost like a glottal stop in there, yeah. like a, throw him out the Goddamn window! It's, it's like, famous. Like Honestly, a pause I, and a. Burst. When he when he said that, I said to myself, "I've heard that before." I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I love I love him. He's my favorite. Although I must say, he has the strangest uh, pattern hair. of hair loss I've ever seen. He has when you look at him from certain angles, he has a full head of hair, but they show him from above, and it's just a like a crop circle. Of fucking hair well, missing and, out of his head. In this, by the second movie, it's he's, a line. He's of, got it's a like, line of balls. About an inch of hair in the front covering. But like if you look at him straight on, he looks like he's got a full head of hair. And he's also involved in one of the other famous lines of this movie that I think we hear in other black movies, especially down the road. Yeah. When he threatens um, Shaft, Shaft looks at him and says, you ain't gonna do shit. <laughs> yeah, and I he love punches <laughs> shit in such a funny Abrupt I wrote way. That, I wrote that down as well. Yeah, man. <laughs> I ain't giving you shit. 
You ain't tell me shit. We ain't found shit. Oh, I don't know if this, I, we kind of went past this, but at the Sorry. beginning when he goes, there's the, the guy like, oh, I got this real nice time piece, brother. And he shows him his badge. We were talking, he showed yeah, him his right. badge. And he's like, goodbye. <laughs> just leaves it. It's just, and another like, there's so many like little quick funny moments in right. the movie. Like, it's, and you know, it's, I can see how people that are really, you know, uh, stuffy would, could, could perceive this as, oh, it's stereotyping the black community, this and that. But again, you're seeing a part of the black community in the same way that in The Sopranos, you saw a part of the Italian community. You're seeing the urban world, the kind of back alley yeah. You know, I, I will say the one racial element that um, he tries to catch that cab. I have it right at the top of my list. Yeah. And he can't catch the cab. But th- I, it's also a weird moment because there's some weird uh, dubbing in there. But he yeah, says something. He's like, you white mother. <laughs> yeah. It's or a little something weird. like that. I'm like, I, I would expect it like, you know, maybe a honky thrown no, in there. You're or right. like, Or at least you white motherfucker. Like, I what? think they said mother back then. Well, I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. Shaft is a sex machine. And you know how I no know this guy? No doubt about it. Here's how I know. So in the first movie, there's a, a, a child's mobile is blocking his ass while he's banging her. Motherfucker. Yeah. While in the second film, again, a, a prism, an optical illusion yeah. like, is, is showing his butt in like... Yeah. You know, fly version, 20 shots and in front of you. And the third one, there's like through glass or something too, right? They so it's all one. very stylized sexuality, which yeah. I think is both cool and b- bizarre. I do want to say, though, there is a bigger clue to that he's a sex machine. Tell me uh, about it in now. The, in the song at the beginning, they tell you he's a sex machine. Scott, you make a great point there, and this really <sighs> kind of links into your world of superheroes. This is a man that has an established backstory. It's only the superhero movies where we see these origin tales. But, you know, we don't know where Mad Max came from. Who cares? You know? We don't know. In, in a certain way. We don't cares? know Brendan Fraser's childhood from The Mummy. Do I want to? Listen, I'm just. Okay. <laughs> I remember that time when I was a six-year-old and I saw a mummy. That, that helped me get ready for this mummy. I think you know the point I'm making. <laughs> a mummy killed my parents. Shaft is just Shaft. I'm going to Egypt to fuck shit up. Look, kid, I put down more mummies in my time than you. You put down one mummy, Dad. Yeah, same mummy, twice. Oh, a uh, great line uh, when he's talking to uh, his name Buford. Mm. Man, you got nothing I want. And I'm like, <laughs> what a great line. Just go. I don't expect anything. I don't want anything from you. Yeah, like, they don't mince words. Yeah, in you're part film. of the plan. I'm only keeping you alive because I need you alive for this. Like, side note on that Buford guy, you know who his son was? His son is Christoph St. John, who died this year, who was on the run, Young and the Restless for like 25 years. Really? Yeah, I mean, he just died. You made a fool out of me, son. Nobody was trying to make a fool out of you or hurt you. Really? You weren't trying to hurt me? No. No, while well, I was walking around with a cane, learning Braille. A uh, missed opportunity... Also, uh, he keeps his gun in the freezer and takes it out. And I was really waiting for a, damn, that's cold. Well, it's too obvious, Scott. <laughs> I'm not sure how the gun in the freezer, I mean, it's good for hiding it, but I'm sure a gun enthusiast. Chris, aren't you a gun enthusiast? Oh, he's not a gun enthusiast. <laughs> Scott, I thought you were telling me that Chris loved guns. No. No, I, I'm wrong. A gun enthusiast would probably tell I you that like- I said wires. <laughs> you know what? Guns- wires computers it's all look it's all the same thing in today's world they're all weapons the point i'm trying to make is i'm sure that in some way makes the gun work not as well uh there's a point though when they're breaking in at that like toward the end there 
Um, he knocks a guy out, and then the next guy is already asleep. Yeah, I saw. I wrote a note about that too. And he hits him on the head. Why'd the guy, you do that? The guy wakes, wakes up, up long enough to go. Oh, I but I was asleep, and then just goes back to You're sleep. You're exactly right. I wrote a note here. Like, why would you knock this man <laughs> he, unconscious? He was already unconscious. He moves him over like a foot from where he was too. Like he picks him up, hits him. Like, oh, why though? And then goes back to sleep That's immediately. So great. Like, the idea that he would wake up to be knocked unconscious visibly and yeah. then be out i yes. saw i read that too I saw <laughs> that he would have woken up to react and then <laughs> gone back out that's too great he just stayed out no <laughs> i am so delighted that you noticed that that is perfect okay scott moving on to the next one i guess so here we go you liked him before so he's back with more last time he was nice this time he's ice in shaft's big score shaft's big score and we talked about how complicated the movie really is. But I think the first thing that pops into my mind when it comes to Shaft's big score is the very strange, civilized, almost effeminate gangster and his long clarinet scene early in the film. Clarinet? Could be an oboe. I thought oboe. That's what I thought. Well, I'm no reedsman. He is attached to that thing like nothing else. It's really peculiar because it's, you know what, I almost want to say it's a homage to Joe Gallo, Crazy Joe Gallo, who when he was released from prison in the early 70s, right around this time, rubbed shoulders with Jerry Orbach and famous New York actors and was known as being civilized before he was gunned down. Right. I think a year later. Yeah. But I think that they're they're trying to allude to that, the civilized gangster type. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel it's a little much. It's, it's long. It's a, a little indulgent. Indulgence, the right word, Scott. Yes. Uh, I do love that shit with the, like, his relationship with his instrument, though, the entire time. Because even, like, <laughs> later when, like, Shaft pops in and kicks the shit out of him and leaves, he's, like, crawling toward the thing. Like, and and I just kept thinking, lovingly like, looking at it. Must play oboe. <laughs> Didn't <laughs> like, you think he was going to pick it up and start playing yeah. half dead, beaten, jaw I think, broken? I think the reed got broken. I think he sees a little I piece of it is broken. I yeah. saw that too. And he's like, my baby yeah. has been destroyed. <laughs> oh, my Stradivarius. Oh, my beautiful Stradivarius. Uh, the captain, the police captain. That's a failing of this movie. Uh, well, he's not in very much of it. Um, but um, he tr tries to kind of fill the same role as the guy in the last. But he's movie. a heavy. He's more of a heavy. He's not Shaft's friend, right? And I think that uh, that takes away from the depth a little bit. But he's still like you know keep in touch, like make sure yeah. you keep us abreast. And he sort of lets him go at the end. Yeah, too. but he's like, still your classic like yelling at. What yeah. are you doing, Shaft? But he for some reason like I saw him and I was like, is that Johnny Cochran? <laughs> like no, that's not what's wrong with you? It's obviously not Johnny Cochran. <laughs> it's outrageous, egregious, preposterous. The, the guy Kelly is the dumbest criminal in the whole history of movies. His plan is terrible. Well, it, first of all, he goes, he shows up at the fire like, oh, what happened? And, the, and he's like, you know, uh, somebody blew him up, you know, and he's like, that's terrible. And like, <laughs> I really wanted him to open that orphanage or whatever. And right. like, he's like, everybody knows that you didn't want him to do Everyone that. He even knows. says it right to him. Like, right. So immediately you're like, so it's him. So you yeah. know who the bad guy is the whole movie. And, like, it's, and it's especially strange that Shaft happens to be fucking his sister while this the, this is going on. Like right. he's, Some friend he is. I mean, he's right in the plot because he's it's he's there when it happens. Yeah. It's a little too convenient. And if he wasn't busy fucking his sister, maybe he could have saved that guy's life. They never really, yeah. you know, talk about that. It's a little too convenient, is what I'm saying. Scott, we need to examine what 
What other apartments in the universe have a back door that no one is aware of and that you can easily sneak out of? Have you ever heard of an apartment with a back door? Only in movies? I've never even seen one in a movie. Until this movie, I didn't think it was possible. No, I've seen them in movies, but it always seems weird. We're like, who has an apartment like that? Like With a back door? Well, yeah, we're no that has two doors. Yeah. Like, and they easily just sneak right out of it. Yeah. And wouldn't Same. that door just be right down the hallway? Like, wouldn't they see them coming out and go, hey. Thank you. <laughs> like, You've just described apartments. So, yeah. <laughs> but again, I mean, this guy's pretty dumb. You're an idiot. Ah, oh, the scene where he goes in and there's that, like, white cop giving him the business. Yeah, okay. He's talking to him. And he's like, oh, guess a cup of coffee. He's like, make mine black. But, like, it was another opportunity I just, in my head, keep adding, just make mine black, you white motherfucker. Like, <laughs> Why do you, Scott? I just always want him to go the come next on, round. No, just it's like, the subtlety that makes it cool. <laughs> I know, I know. But, like, but meanwhile, again, I'm going in with what my perception of black exploitation is, and I'm like, oh, you're missing all these opportunities to just. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Make white the moment obvious. Instead. The white guy does the most racist thing he can think of to do at the time. He comes back and he's like, "There's three sugars in it." Yeah, it's with like well, cream with cream. Like, it's like, I ruined you, motherfucker. <laughs> it's a sludgy cup of coffee now. Enjoy. You know what? We should really. I got you a frappuccino. <laughs> All right. It's a decaf tea. <laughs> You're gonna hate it. <laughs> You're gonna hate it. You son of a bitch. I like how uh, finally when Shaft gets to the mobster's place and easily infiltrates it using the very clever window washing ruse. Clearly, uh, Shaft has never washed a window in his entire uh, no. life. He's just scrubbing in a circle in the middle of the window. But meanwhile, Willie is fucking washing that window. I'm like, <laughs> Willie's washed a window in his day. Like, for sure. He's got the technique now. You don't see a single streak on that window. And why did that scene happen? What there really was, what to just piss him off so he'll do something stupid I mean, basically because no one really knew who's aligned to anybody, so yeah. Shaft is just kind of fucking so I guess everybody. This is just up. revealing to him, like, right, Bumpy knows, and right. I know, and you know, fuck Bumpy. Bumpy is almost like a cameo in this movie, he really sort doesn't figure into yeah. anything. Yeah, he's got some good lines, he's got the one that no, he's like, funny, Why and everything. Worry about a dead man or whatever like, with his cigar, and yeah. he's funny, but. Again, I like the character of Bumpy. but I do too. But, but I like Willie gets more play, and Willie gets to go with him on right. the thing, and I'm like, oh, I fucking love Willie. I think he's always so funny. I think he's like, would you come along for the ride? And he's like, I heard you were good. I wanted to see what you could do. And he's just right. standing there watching. Me and you going to tangle sooner or later. Why don't you stop playing with yourself, Willie? There were like, definitely critics who liked this more than the first movie because it, it felt more like an I action film. I kind of enjoyed this movie more than the first one just because so, I thought there was more to it. Like, yeah, it was convoluted and confusing, but like, I don't know. It's, well, again, it seemed like it was like they kind of figured out what Shaft is about. And like, I feel like his character played out better in this than the first one. Like, interesting. No, but you know what? You make a good point because there's plenty of people that agree with you. Yeah. There's plenty of people that felt like the second movie was more of a complete Hollywood film. Wasn't so rough around the edges. Right. All right. So maybe they had a little bit more money. I they, well, they definitely had more money. And they had more money for three as well. And look at where it got them. Yeah. Are you ready to move to three? Shaft in Africa. Africa's the name. Shaft's the game. From MGM. This is it. The biggest shaft of all. Shaft in Africa. Yes. Shaft in Africa. Now, when it comes to a third film, we've found that either that film is going to try and replicate what the first film did because the second one was so off the mark. Or... 
The third film is going to do something completely crazy and different. And that's the 70s trend that I think that's what happens here. Yeah. And the Bad News Bears, they went to Japan in in Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey kind of became the bandit. And there was no bandit. Right. Here, they're just heading to Africa. As the idea gets broader and broader. Because that's what happens with these movies. The further you go along, the idea has to get bigger and bigger and broader. And you're like, nobody wants to just see him do another case in... You know, Harlem. I don't know. I kind of did. I mean, I thought this was some goofy ass shit. They grab Shaft. They basically kidnap Shaft. Yeah. Right. And they kind of like figure all that out. And they're like, and our last test is we're going to throw you in this hot room with sand sand to see if you can withstand the desert. (laughs) What will you do? Yeah. And he immediately covers himself in sand and they turn it off and go, you win. (laughs) It's, it's like, really well. You figured that out quite quickly. You're you're very resourceful, Mister Shaft. Like <laughs> Scott, don't pretend there was you... nothing else in the room. What Scott, else was he gonna do? Scott, don't pretend you didn't love that scene because it was very Saw esque. And I know you love the Saw movies. Not and at it's all. It's totally That's a not the Saw point challenge. Of it. it is not. <laughs> Come it on, is not. Don't lie. He didn't hurt himself in any way. In Saw, the only <laughs> way you get through the trap is to injure yourself. Okay. 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 <laughs> I turned to Amy and I was like, am I really to believe that these many lights are as hot as the sun? I don't know if this is realistic. Because again, it seems almost like a Bond villain would do something like yeah, that. Like, it's... time to die, Mr. Bond, in a desert of my own making. I think you've made your point, Goldfinger. Thank you for the demonstration. Uh, I love to, uh, the obvious shaft moment of like, them being like, we want you to go do this. And they're like, I don't know. It's not really my, <laughs> not really my jam. Or like, we'll train you. And like, I don't know. And this is the woman who's going to be training you. And like, he sees her and he's like, okay, I'll stay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'll hang out. I'll do this. That's great that you mentioned that, Scott, because I think that opens the door to what I think is the most insensitive and clearly offensive part in any of these movies. The incredibly casual treatment of clitorectomies. Oh, yes. Which they call... Clit- clitoridectomy. Right, which maybe that was the name then of it, or maybe there's two different versions, and yeah. I, I'm not... But what I can tell you is, it's horrible. Yeah. And you don't... I've ha- heard of this before, but you didn't expect to hear about it in a fucking Shaft movie. <laughs> and, and, the, and the way that he sort of convinces her, like, hey, baby, you sure you don't want some, some, some wear on that clit before you cut it off? Yeah. That's basically what Try he's saying. Try before you buy, <laughs> like... At the end, she looks at him and she's like, I'm keeping the clit. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. You proved to me, Chef, that I needed to keep my clitoris. Yeah. that's a, the, the sexuality of him becomes ridiculous in this movie. Like, there's that whole thing that he she convinces him to to break all, years of tradition. Yeah. Also, they all, he also mentions later that she reveals that she was not a virgin at all and had slept with many men before Which is, that. where did that come from? Yeah, you're like, why did that need to even be mentioned? Yeah. We, don't yeah. even, we don't give a shit about her sexual history. <laughs> we don't care. She's hot. She can stay. But, like, we don't care about any of that. You know, I find that another failing of this movie is that the music doesn't necessarily fit what's going on. You don't have the groovy music. It doesn't fit Africa because the the scenery is so different, because the locale is so different. The music, there's an incongruity when it comes to the music. It doesn't have that flow in the same way. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I think that was a failing of the film, in addition to the clit stuff. Well, sure. Clit. Clit. I, I have a question. Uh. What happened to that guy on the bus? The guy who was like sitting behind him the whole time on the bus. He clearly yeah. knows he's going to try to kill him. Right. He waits for him to go to sleep and he goes to stab him and he kind of yeah, like judo chops the knife out of his hand. Yeah. Then kind of does a quick hook to his throat. Yeah. 
Scott, he crushes his larynx with that throat. Chip. That's you really think that's what happened there? I'm, that's what they want us it to think. It just seems so quick. Where I'm like, where well, was the knife? Why didn't he just turn the knife around? Yeah. Hey, reshoot that. One it's more time. Scott. It's real fighting. I guess. Next time I'm, I need to subdue you, I'm going right for your throat, and you'll be out. But it's not like the guy like was like, uh, uh, like couldn't breathe from being hit in the throat, which is what would have happened. Damn he would it, have Scott, choked. You're done. When you're hit in the throat, you're done. You're it's over. It's not true. How many other times have you seen in a movie where someone got hit in the throat? What do they do? Die? Nope. You act as if I haven't seen this in person. You haven't. I know you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> well, they killed that dog, man. What the fuck? I was going to say, I liked Shaft with the dog. As soon as there was a dog, I was like, all I was right, like, I'm yeah, down. He's I'm got like, a dog. Yeah. No dogs allowed. Oh, uh, there's the part where, again, for some reason, he randomly meets up with that girl again to have sex with her in that little crow's nest thing that is really out of, what what is I that was, the most inappropriate time for just, sex yes it makes no sense i mean i guess nobody knows where you are because you're not on the bus anymore or whatever but my brain i'm always waiting for like the naked gun joke to come in so i was waiting for it to like shake and then like drop at some point you know like because <laughs> i'm like clearly they didn't build this for people to fuck inside of so is it really going to hold you guys up structurally she gives some sort of ham-handed explanation as to why it's there but at the end of the day it's there so they can fuck exactly. right then yeah you're like, this is to scare crows away. He's like, yeah, shut the fuck up. I think you'd be <laughs> like, let's think, do this. I think you'd be hard pressed to find those structures in Ethiopia right now. Yeah. And if you do find them, Scott, people are fucking in them. Before when he's leaving with the uh the his bodyguard, uh interpreter, bodyguard, whatever, yep. he goes and they're talking to that other group, and there's that old man before they're leaving, says something to him, uh, and he's like, What did he say? And he's like he says, by the time the sun rises two times from now, two men will die or something like that. And then laughs like, <laughs> and walks away. And I was really to be like, I'm just fucking with you. He said, have a good trip. Like, that's, that's all he said. <laughs> like to do some outlandish, like he said, many moons. will." No, I'm fucking with you. No, no, no. He, he just said, be careful. It's, uh... He asked me for a dollar. Yeah. He said. <laughs> really? That's all he. He said, uh, Highway 9 is closed. So we're going to have to. <laughs> We have to take the other way around then. <laughs> um, we talked about, we already talked about the crazy sex scene with the girl, right? It doesn't even seem clear. Like she's just like, oh yeah, sweaty black slaves really gets me off. Yeah, and he's, he's like, like, you know what? Why don't you go fuck this one? <laughs> like, but I think that's another sort of it's marginal. Not like, and you know, they talk about the black mythology of having the big dick. And that could, I could see how people would perceive that as. There's a little too much of that. A little too of much. Like, you know, even, and she flat out says, like, you're a cock at one right, point. I'm why? like, Jesus, this is becoming a porno. It's What's happening? There's no reason to. He's a great lover. Just show them kind of getting started and then do like a weird cutaway. Has anyone ever turned had, had to Bond and said, Bond, you've got a great big dick that I love? Yeah, no. no. The biggest shaft of all in the hottest place of all. I like that he's Jawway, which just sounds like Yahweh. We're like, you really think that much of yourself, yeah, shaft? Close enough. <laughs> like, uh, so, yeah, all the main characters burn to death at the end. Shaft's entire journey was only to save himself, not to save all these refugees. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the, the thing is, bad stuff happens, and Shaft doesn't stop it from happening. Right. If you want to see Shaft, ask your mom. There were many options for us to involve Phil in this podcast. He's done everything for us. We've sent him to Japan. Yes. But I couldn't think of a way that we could involve Phil without him in some way upsetting the African-American community, so... You should probably listen to this, guys. Go ahead. Who's 
the field correspondent. That's got all the ladies responding. Phil, you damn right. Who is the man who would risk his neck for his podcast friends? Phil, can you dig it? Who's the cat that gets sent out even though there's danger about? Phil, right on. You see this cat, Phil, he's a bad mother. Shut, Shut your, your mouth. mouth. I'm just, I'm just talking about me. Then we, we can, can dig it. it. He's a man of comedy, and you can hear him on the Trilogy Podcast. That sounded great, Phil. Yeah, great job, Phil. All right, we've got it. Let's just shut it down. Guys, I think that we should really... Actually... Did you have something? Yeah. Um, I wrote a few more verses, and I'd like to try it out, you know, if you guys, if you guys don't mind. Go for it. Sure. Chris, start that track back up again. Who's the minor character that's from space and sinister? What? Damn right. What the hell are you talking about? Huh? Who is the man who looks like he's in the Taliban? Phil. Can you dig it? Phil, this was supposed to be about Shaft. What the hell is this? Who's the bounty hunter? You know I love, and you guys hate it when I bring him up. Oh, God. Thank God. Right on. Jesus Christ, Phil. See this cat, Dengar? He's a bad mother. Shut, Shut your, your mouth. mouth. I'm just talking about Dengar. We know who you're talking about. Shut, Shut your, your mouth. mouth. He's a complicated man, but no one understands him but his Dengar. God damn. I love you, Dengar. Chris, just dump it. Just dump the whole thing. Forget about it. I That sounded great, Scott. Yes, it did. I love when Phil just puts himself out there the way he, we make him be put out there. All right. Are you ready, Scott, to tell us your order for this trilogy? In fact, tell us whether you think it's a successful trilogy first. No, I don't. You don't? No. Okay. I mean, they're, they're, not, they're not very good. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, they're enjoyable... The, the point that they're like an action movie, but they're not really good. Yeah, hmm. they're not very good. In general, you don't think it's a successful I mean, successful trilogy. in, I mean, it, the definition, your definition of successful that I have to like all three of the movies. Definitely, like, definitely. I, I like them all somewhat, but I think it's more successful as as a film in like film history. Like, but you think the overall quality of each film doesn't raise it's the not level? Very good. Really, Scott? This is, this is an interesting take, whereas it's not... This is the first time where we're looking at not so much one particular film that you disliked or we disliked so much, but an overall, eh, none of them were good enough to make this successful. Yeah, I mean, even like Shaft, like, you know, it's a basic uh, detective story and it's, it's you know, good enough. Successful, and what's, your, say, and no. what's your order, Scotty? My order is probably 213. 213. You like yeah. two more than one. 
Again, I think it's like a better uh, version of the first one. More of a complete film. Yeah. Scott, I really like kind of the way you're looking at this, okay? But I'm going to look at it in the more conventional way that we often look at these. For me, I felt like the third movie destroyed this trilogy. It was just a nonsense film. And like so many of our 70s films that we've examined, just one kind of inexplicable scene after another where you're just scratching your head wondering what is going to happen next. Scott, for me... One, two, three. I really liked the first movie, not only because it is a relic and a historical moment in the world of cinema, but because I genuinely loved the rhythm of the dialogue and the cool hipness of it. So that's where we are. Unsuccessful from both of us. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Trilogy Podcast. I am Vin. I'm Scott. And we are delighted that you have taken the time to listen to us. Um, make sure you follow us on Instagram. It is a great compliment to the podcast. Scotty? And check out Twitter because we're going to be doing lots of polls and uh, posting a bunch of uh, trilogy-related stuff to the episode, so check that out. And we just got to 100 followers, and I think that's great because our followers aren't just followers to follow. They're real people that seem to really enjoy film and what we're doing with film, so I think we're doing a great job on Twitter as well. Pat ourselves on the back there. Well, we have to because no one else will. And you know what? We're talking about Shaft today. Hey! Yeah, baby. Goodbye. What they do? Are you man enough? Big and bad.